Thank you very much, Karen. Uh, let me encourage you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, to have 1 Timothy open. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you have a phone with you, to find 1 Timothy uh, in it. Uh, we're still in the stage where we can't have Bibles in the pews, so I, I do encourage you to bring a Bible with you. And if for some reason you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. So please do uh, let me know after the service if, if that's you. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, embark on 1 Timothy together this term. That's our project uh, for the term. Uh, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy in Ephesus. And uh, I've been uh, really looking forward to reading this letter together. So let me pray and ask for God's help as we uh, begin it together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your love, you speak to us. And you speak to us as our Saviour. And your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to us as our hope. We pray, Father, that as we hear your word, that we would hear it as it really is. The word of our God, in whom our hope is set. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have been uh, looking forward to uh, 1 Timothy, as I say, and I do encourage you to uh, have a read of it uh, over the coming week. We'll spend the term in it. It'll take you about 25 minutes, I think, to read uh, the whole thing, so not not very long, but we'll be looking at it in little chunks as as we go along. So it's good to have a a sense of uh, the whole letter and anticipate uh, what's coming. So uh, let me encourage you to do that. And as I've been reading it and rereading it over the summer, there's an image that keeps popping into my head every time... I read it, and it's the, uh, the image or, or picture of a plumb line. Uh, you know, the old builder's tool, that simple tool that's been used for centuries in the building trade. Uh, even back to the ancient Egyptians, they used the plumb line, and even the very first skyscrapers in the world, they used these giant versions of uh, plumb lines to make sure that the, the thing was built straight. Uh, that's what a plumb line does, as, as I'm sure you know. A, a very simple weight... Uh, on a string and it sort of swings around until eventually it finds centre. It always finds that centre of gravity and then everything can be lined up uh, by the plumb line. Now the reason that image has been in my head as uh, as I've been reading uh, 1 Timothy is that I think metaphorically every single one of us has a plumb line. Uh, Every life here, every Every church uh, throughout the world has a plumb line, something that is at the very gravitational centre of that church or that life. Uh, Every life has a centre of gravity that that everything is shaped around. I wonder if you've thought about that for yourself. I think over time our centre of gravity can change uh, as our life is centred on different things in, in different seasons, but we always have a plumb line. Eventually it stops swinging and it settles somewhere. That's what my life is about. That's what it's centred on. Now, for the builder's plumb line, uh, that, that the force that dictates the centre is, well, gravity itself. Now, let me ask you, what is it for you? What's at the centre of your life? What force or what influence or what weight centres your life? Uh, where does the weight of your time and your energies and your passions and your thoughts and your priorities and your ambitions and your activities where is it centered if you were to stand back and look at it or if someone else was to observe your life what would they say that's the center that's the plumb line I wonder if you've ever thought about that in your own life where does the plumb line settle for you now let me ask you this are you settled with where it is settled uh, is that where you want it to be as, uh, as you head out on life in the week ahead? Is your life centred in the way that you would uh, hope it to be? 
in one sense, it's hard to be settled at the moment. That's what 2020 has done for us. It's been a, a year of such flux, and I don't know about you, but it's just felt like just one big process of reacting to things rather than actually planning or purposing things. Uh, and so in one sense, being settled is about the last thing many of us feel. And I want to encourage you to go with that feeling at the moment. Go with it and use it in 2021 to consider this to be a year of, well, to mix metaphors, of recalibration, of resetting that centre of our lives and our life together as a church. Uh, my prayer for us uh, at St Andrews as, as we head out on 2021 is that this be a season of renewal for us. A season to renew the word of, well, as it's described there in the very first verse of 1 Timothy, the word of God our Saviour, the word of Christ Jesus our hope, as the very centre of gravity of our lives, as the plumb line that shapes the way you live, as the plumb line that shapes the way we live together as a church. Now, in one sense, that's not an unexpected thing for a minister to say. Let's have this, the word of God be what shapes our life. That seems obvious, doesn't it? But... As we read 1 Timothy, we're going to see that, well, in the words of 1 Timothy, that's an urgent call. It's urgent because our lives are actually shaped by so many different forces. And so let me ask you again, consider the influences over your life that shape you, the decisions that you make, uh, the things that you hold to be important. What guides your time? What guides the way your family operates? What guides the way you approach work for the workers? Uh, and consider us as a church. I, as I say, my, my feeling, I, I remember as I headed off on holiday in the summer, I said to Liz, 2020 has felt like, I felt like I've not planned or done anything. I've just reacted each week. It's like, whoa, I don't know what's happening this week. Let's see what, see what uh, God has in mind. That's, that's what it's felt like. And, and when a church is in that sort of situation, that sort of flux, there is a moment where we need to settle again. Uh, what's going to be our plumb line as a church? So many forces can shape us, so many words and trends that can shape life individually or life for us as a church. Well, I think 1 Timothy is a word into all of that noise and flux. It's a word to still other voices and to show us where they actually lead. A word to show us that the, the house, and that's the picture that uh, 1 Timothy uses, the house that God intends to build on your life and our life together as a church needs to be built on the plumb line of his word. And so that's our goal, a simple goal for 2021, to renew God's word as the plumb line of your life. And as I said, 1 Timothy will say it is an urgent goal because uh, the danger is, and I wonder if you know this feeling for yourself, the danger is to have our knowledge of God and even our love of God become almost weightless in our lives compared to other weights, compared to other things that seem so much more substantial uh, God and his word can become almost weightless to us in terms of its impact on our life. I was struck years ago by a, a quote in a, a book by a guy called David Wells. Uh, he wrote a book called God in the Wasteland and here's what he said, which I think rings true of our experience. It's one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. I don't mean by this that he is ethereal, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as to not be noticeable. Those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television, his commands less authoritative than their appetites, his judgment no more awe-inspiring than the evening news, and his truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery 
and lies. That is weightlessness. Now, you might uh, want to swap out the, the examples he gives, television and things like that. Perhaps there's other things that are the real weight and substance of, of your life. But the, the tendency is to settle elsewhere, isn't it? Timothy, 1 Timothy is a call to renewal. And as we turn to it, here's just a little bit of background as to this letter so we can understand what we're reading together. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he writes to Timothy who's based in Ephesus, in the church in Ephesus. Now, if you read the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and it was a a really fruitful three years. Uh, The gospel uh, bore fruit and multiplied in Ephesus. It was an amazing season, and the church grew and grew, and it actually became a bridgehead uh, that church for well, the whole Roman province of Asia. That was the, the sort of hub by which the gospel then went out to the whole province. Uh, Paul's last time in Ephesus is, is captured for us in the first reading that Karen read for us, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, Acts 20, sorry. Uh, it's, it's, I reckon, one of the most emotional uh, chapters in all the Bible. There, there Paul says, that most likely, I'm never going to see you again. This church that he'd uh, spent three years with. And, and there's big uh, tearful farewells. Admittedly, it comes after such a long sermon that someone's fallen out a window asleep. Uh, hopefully that won't happen this morning. But uh, this farewell he gives them is, is scattered with warnings. He keeps warning them, watch out. Watch out. In this church, there's going to be other forces, other words that are going to come along and move the plumb line, if you like. That's his warning. And Timothy is there in Ephesus. Uh, Timothy, uh, we again read in the book of Acts, came to faith under Paul's ministry. Do you, do you see the way he's described there in verse 2 of uh, 1 Timothy? He's uh, my true child in the faith. Here is one who came to faith in Jesus because of Paul's ministry. They're, they've got that bond together. Uh, he's a guy with a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and so he was perfectly suited uh, to join Paul on his missionary journeys into the sort of mixed cultures of the, the cities. And he went with Paul on his second missionary journey. And after that, here is where he stays in Ephesus to guard that bridgehead of the gospel. That's where we meet him as we uh, read this letter together. And in one sense, that task of guarding the gospel, of making sure that God's word, his glorious gospel, as it's called in this letter, is, is the plumb line for the church, it's not an easy task. And we're going to get a sense in 1 Timothy that, that, that Timothy is a little bit timid when it comes to that task. There's all sorts of forces at play in, in uh, Ephesus. One of them that we'll come across uh, next week is religion uh, that can shift uh, the faith of uh, Christians from faith in the Lord Jesus to faith in ourselves when it comes to salvation. Uh, another force that we're going to see at play in Ephesus is that of just well self-interest and materialism. Shifting the centre of gravity to put our hope in wealth rather than in our God. And we're also going to see these powerful cultural trends that were influencing the way the church operated uh, that can put a weight of influence on, well, just culture rather than God's word. Now, as we come across these in this letter, they are ancient forces that were at play in Ephesus then, but they're still here. They still remain influences for us. 1 Timothy is a letter that puts God's true word as the gravitational centre of a life and a life of a church. And so here's the question. Why? Why centre my life on God's word? Often it does feel weightless and less interesting and less important and less urgent than other aspects of my life. Uh, Hearing God speak to me... uh, 
Uh, why be here each Sunday? Well, that's a big challenge, isn't it? Uh, I reckon, and we're classic, we're typical of any church that I've been a part of and any church that I'm aware of, there's about 60% of us here on a Sunday. Why be here each Sunday? Why commit to a small group when you're so busy? Why make time to read the Bible personally? Why, why would you centre life like that? Life is busy and it's full and it's noisy. Does this resonate with you? Is God's word becoming weightless? My prayer is that uh, this be a season where we renew. I wonder if you're up for that. But why? Again, why centre the word? Well, the answer comes in the form of two realities in these opening verses. Uh, Here they are. Who is speaking to us and why he is speaking? That's why we centre. Who is speaking and why he's speaking? Let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, who speaks this word? And I think these opening verses of 1 Timothy are actually really helpful more generally in understanding why we'd read the Bible. Now have a look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. As we read this word, we hear the word of one who is described here as an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who's speaking to us. He writes as a messenger of King Jesus, of, uh, well, really, as he's called here, Messiah Jesus, the one who's promised all the way in the Old Testament. He's speaking on behalf of that one, the king who changed everything. If you flick forward in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16 says this of the king that he speaks for. He appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. He's been taken up into glory. That's whose messenger speaks to us. And the Apostle Paul himself had been confronted by this king. If, again, if you read the book of Acts, Acts 9, uh, Paul at that point, utterly opposed to the church and opposed to Jesus, is confronted by the risen Lord Jesus who basically knocks him on his backside and turns his life around and gives him this job of being the messenger. And so as we open this word together, we are reading the word of the one who speaks on behalf of King Jesus. Now reflect on that for a minute. My attitude to him that is the Apostle Paul, my attitude to what he is saying here will be a reflection of my attitude to King Jesus. That's big. And made even more so when you see that he's not, Paul's not speaking by his own whim or wish. You see verse 1, it is by the command of God that he speaks. Uh, This is the command of a God who can command the world into existence. The God who gathered his people at Sinai and commanded them, this is how you will live in the Ten Commandments. The one whose command is powerful enough to say to death, surrender, and his son rose from death. That's who commands this word. And so again, this is big, isn't it, as we read it? It's no small thing that the word that we hear together on Sunday like this, we hear because of the command of King Jesus. It's no small thing then to consider how we would respond to that word. And not just because it's God's command, but because of how and who this God is towards us. Do you see it described again, verse 1? It's the word of God, our saviour. This is the word of the one who loves you, even though you're a sinner and has made a way for you to be forgiven. That's who's speaking to you. It's the word of the one, we're told in chapter 1, who gives you grace and mercy and peace. That's who's speaking. He speaks as your saviour. He is utterly for you. You can trust him as he speaks. And even more so when you see it's also, again, verse 1, it is the word of Christ Jesus, our hope. 
This word is our hope. Lean into it. He can take the weight. And yes, uh, verse 2, we're told it is a word first written to Timothy. But as we go along, we're going to see that Paul is very deliberately, as he speaks to Timothy, writes this to Timothy, he's writing to the whole church in Ephesus. He keeps using you, plural. He's talking to them all. And even more than that, if you look at verse 2, it's written to those who are, would be able to describe themselves as a true child in the faith. And brothers and sisters, that's us. We have heard this apostolic word. We have received it by faith. You are a true child in the faith. This is a word to Timothy and to all children in the faith. And his command to Timothy is this. Do you see it? Verse 3. Remain there. Stay the course. Ensure that no false words are heard over the true word, is what Paul says. Uh, Verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia... Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines. Now, why restate the command? He says, I've already told you this, but let me say it again. I think it's because he knows it's so urgent. But it's also so that the Ephesian church can hear that that's the command and and us as well. Now, what's going on with this command? Why why is Paul silencing other words? Is this uh, censure? Well, read the Apostle Paul's other letters in the Scriptures and you'll see he's not opposed to questions. He loves them. Not opposed to inquiry and debate, even sometimes fiery debate. But what he wants to stop are words that are just not true. Powerful words of religion. Words of self-interest. Words that put your hope in wealth. Words of the false promise of cultural trends. They are words that he describes, you see it there in verse 3, as fake truth, fake news. He, he got there before the, uh, Donald Trump. He came up with it before him. Uh, this, this is what he wants to stop. He wants to stop, a verse 4, empty hope, meaningless, directionless words. Now, we're going to hear a number of them as we go through 1 Timothy. But today, what I want us to see is the principle we need to have in our minds to be able to assess the words we hear to know which to stop and which to turn up. And the principal questions to ask are those two questions again. Who's speaking to me and why are they speaking to me? Well, let's apply that to the false truths that he wants silenced that we'll come across. Who speaks them? Well, we'll see throughout the letter that the answer is, well, they come in many and varied forms. And and in verse 3, he he simply just calls them certain people are speaking these words. He doesn't even name them. He will name some later. But what he's more interested in than their identity is their character and their competency as they speak these words. Now you can see that in Acts 20, the first reading that we had, Acts 20 verse 29. There the Apostle Paul refers to such word speakers as savage wolves. That's their character. Elsewhere he'll call them liars. And as for their competency, look how he identifies them in verse 7 of chapter 1. They are would-be teachers who do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. You know, ignorance can be dangerous, can't it? There's such a thing as dangerous ignorance. You can know so little about something that you don't even know that you don't know. uh, I think uh, one of my experiences of that occurred in first-year university. I, I found one course at uni in first year, econometrics, and I failed it by so far, it's, it's ridiculous. 
And I remember going into the final exam at the end of the year and coming out of the exam utterly convinced that I had done very well. <laughs> and I think it was this sort of dangerous ignorance at play. I knew so little about the subject that I wasn't even aware of my lack of knowledge. In one sense, uh, econometrics, and there's always a, a re-go, but here for the Apostle Paul, the, these, th this lack of knowledge is, is deadly. It is knowing so little about salvation, so little about hope. These guys are utterly ignorant about such things, and dangerously so. So compare then the sources of these two words in chapter 1. There is the word of God, our saviour, the word of Christ Jesus, our hope. And I wonder if you know the sound of that word. Is it familiar to you? Uh, you know, the Lord Jesus in, in John's gospel, he says, my sheep will know my voice. Do you, do you know his voice? Do you know uh, as you read the Bible that God is speaking to you? Paul wants us to learn to recognise that voice and compare it to these other words, false words, from faux life coaches who know so little that they are utterly confident in their ignorance. It's a dangerous ignorance. Why? Well, see, this is the other part of the principle. Where does it lead? Well, if you want a one-word summary of where such words lead, verse 6 has it. It leads away. That's where it leads. Away. Away from salvation. Away from hope. That's why the Apostle Paul says it's so urgent that such words do not become the plumb line of a life. And we're going to see the first example of it next week with religion, by which if we hear and heed that word, we'll buy the lie that salvation is achieved by self-righteousness. To do that, well, if you look down at verse 19, is to shipwreck your faith. Such vivid imagery, isn't it? And right at the end of this letter, in chapter 6, we'll, we'll see the false word of wealth wasn't just an issue in Ephesus, it's an issue for us as well, isn't it? We buy the lie that wealth is where I'm secure and assured. To do that, chapter 6 verse 9 says, is to fall into a temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires. Other false words will be exposed in this letter and they'll be uncomfortable at points, even controversial at points, because these are the voices that shape us. But in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, what he's doing is he's pulling back the disguise to show us who speaks this word and why he speaks it. And so what I want to do to finish is I want to finish by the, showing you the final piece of this principle. We've seen the false words and where they lead away. We've seen the true word. We've seen who speaks it. God our saviour, Christ Jesus our hope. But see where that word leads. See why Paul is so passionate that you hear it. It's because the more we hear and heed that word, the more three things will form at the, at the base, at the plumb line of, of our life. You see them there, verse 5? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Silencing other words for Paul is not about conformity for conformity's sake. It's, it's not about towing some party line. It's because God, who is for us, who is our saviour and our hope, he's speaking to us with intent. And what's his intent? It's to lay this foundation in your life. Do you see it? Threefold foundation in verse 5. He wants you to have, here's the first two, a pure heart and a good conscience. He wants you to have a life where your heart is clean and forgiven forever. He wants you to have a heart that can echo the words of the old hymn as well. Uh, my sin, oh, the bliss, or oh, the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole. 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I can't wait to sing that together. Build a life on that, says God. You can have a new heart, clean, forgiven forever. That's the word he wants you to hear. And you and I need to keep hearing that word. A word that assures us, uh, even as we sin. I need to hear it because I do keep on sinning. I need to hear it because left to myself, left to yourself, you are utterly stuffed. I need to keep hearing that word so I can silence Satan's lies as he accuses me of being a sinner. I can silence him as a miserable liar and point to the word of Christ Jesus, my hope, who says it's finished. He wants you to have that at the foundation of your life. And finally, he wants you to have, uh, we're told, verse 5, a sincere faith, genuine faith, formed by daily hearing and receiving this word. Sincere faith. Uh, Sincere is a word that means out in the sunlight. That's the sort of faith he wants you to have. uh, Genuine faith that can stand up under the sunlight, under the testing and trials that come in life. A singular trust that is formed by hearing this word each day. And how's this for amazing, just as we finish? That groundwork that's formed by God, do you see what it produces? Look closely at verse 5. See the order. See what comes from this foundation of a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith, love. Genuine, gentle, generous love. That's what God wants. That's the goal of his speaking. Now, I reckon that's fascinating and and somewhat surprising because it's often argued, I I hear this often, that um, knowledge and love are like a dichotomy in the Christian life. There's Christians who focus on knowing God's word and there's Christians who focus on, on loving like God loves, but, but they're, they're a dichotomy, they're, they're separate, but that's a false dichotomy. You can't genuinely love without deeply listening to the word of the God who first loved you. Only that can calm and free your heart enough to love you as a love as God intends, to love him have your soul be happy in him to to love others to have your soul burdened by what burdens him as we'll see in chapter two do you believe that that's what i long for us as a church renewing our commitment to hear this word don't you long for a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith don't you love for a well of love in your life deep enough to actually get through the day it will not come from you it comes from the word of god your savior and christ jesus your hope That's my prayer for our church this year, a year of renewal. So let me encourage you to read this word. Let's make this a year of renewal. Remember who is speaking to you and remember why he speaks. I'm going to pray and then we're just going to uh, have a third song but it'll be on uh, video. And I'm going to encourage you just to use the time while that song is playing to consider this year and to consider it being a year of renewal for you. So let me pray and then uh, the song will start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your very great love that you speak to us. You speak because your goal is that we love you and love like you do. And so pray, Father, that you would uh, change our hearts this year resettle us centered on your good word to us amen